Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. How are you doing? I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this new series that's starting right now. I am really excited about this. This is something I've been wanting to talk about for years, but I felt like now is the time that we really need to be doing this. The name of the series is called The Mind of Christ, The World Through the Eyes of God. You know, one of the problems that we have uh, in our struggle with, with faith, our struggle with living in victory, is that we very seldom surrender our opinions to God. We very seldom surrender our perspectives to God. Here's a really interesting thing about perspective. Perspective is very rarely created by what we actually see or what the actual facts are. A, a perspective, or maybe you better say a perception, is created because of, of what we think we, we should see. You know, people don't realize it, but you actually don't see with your eyes, you see with your brain. You know, your eyes are like lenses that pick up information. But one of the things that your brain does is your brain takes in this all of this information, just like a, the lens of a camera would take it in. And then your brain actually uh, molds that information into uh, things that you've seen before. In other words, it will cause you to, to instantaneously compare what you're looking at to something that you have seen before. And so really, you end up with a mental concept that is your perception, and the perception may not actually fit the actual picture that you're seeing. You know, back in the 60s, uh, I did hallucinogenics, quite a bit of hallucinogenics, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, many of my friends that did hallucinogenics would end up losing their minds. And for a while, I kind of lost my mind, I guess. Uh, but my mind got renewed in Jesus, thank goodness. But one of the things that used to happen, you know, when you when I do hallucinogenics or other people do hallucinogenics, is let's say that you're walking, you're walking through your house, and maybe you just see a shadow, and uh, that shadow is just a shadow, and that's actually what your eyes see. That is the picture that your that your eyes project to your brain. But then your brain based on if you're in fear or paranoia or something, then your brain will cause you to perceive that shadow maybe as a snake crawling on the floor or maybe as a rat crawling across the floor or as a cat running across the floor, any number of things. Now, that's not reality. That is a perception that is created out of our own mind. Now, what we fail to understand is uh, so many of the things that God's Word tells us uh, about the world around us, about living in victory and this sort of thing. We look out at the world and we see the facts or we see the detail. That's what's picked up through this lens that we call our eyes. But then in our minds, we uh, interpret that to mean something. We may 
interpret that to mean this is a bigger problem than I can ever solve. We might interpret that to mean I will never get out of this alive. I mean, any number of ways. So one of the concepts uh, back decades ago, and most of you who know me, if you followed me for very long, you know that, that I'm a stickler for language. Um, I'm not a scholar in language, but I'm a stickler for at least getting proper definitions because one of the one of the ways that the, that believers today have been so uh, corrupted is by accepting non-biblical definitions of words and phrases. And so, when you say the glory of God, you you man, you go through these pages of uh, of definitions of the Greek word doxa, and, and you know you're coming up with. With uh, you're coming up with words like the glory, the brightness, the splendor, the greatness, the majesty, and so you just you got pages and pages and pages of of those types of concepts, uh, seeking to understand what the glory of God is. But if you study through these definitions long enough, you come down to what I think are the three key words that you need to understand in, in order to grasp the glory of God. What is it that makes something majestic? What is it that makes something glorious? What is it that makes something beautiful and, and splendid? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, more than anything, it's whether or not it is true and in harmony uh, with what God says, with who God is. And so, so you come across three key words when studying the glory of God, view, opinion, and reality. And you start realizing God views the world uh, and he sees the world based on reality. He, does, he has no need. He has no fear. He has no unbelief. He has none of these weird things happening in his life where he, where he has to change what he's seeing to fit his corrupt beliefs. But see, we as human beings, we have fears. We have things that we're concerned about. We, you know, we, we have paranoia, whatever. And so when we're looking at something, we come up with an opinion, a view and an opinion of, of whatever it is we're seeing, and that creates uh, a perception. But the problem is a perception is not a reality. It is, a, it is an interpretation of reality. So many times we look at situations where God has given us absolute promises, but we look at them and we can't believe those promises because we are creating a, a false sense of reality based on a perception. And that perception is coming out of fear, out of unbelief, out of uh, past negative experiences you know, that we've been in. And so our view and our opinion creates a false reality. That perception is a false reality. And the problem is we will become trapped or limited by our perceptions. And really, we, we will find ourselves incapable of harmonizing with God and walking in, in what you know, some of us would call the miraculous or what some people you know, would call the supernatural, which I, you know, I use those words uh, the word miracle is a biblical word, but the word supernatural is not a biblical word. We're, we're going to talk about that, that some uh, in this series. So, so I want us to come to a place where when we look at any situation 
that's going on around us, instead of creating a view and, a, and an opinion which leads to a perception of a false reality, we will be able to surrender our view and opinion to God's. You know, that's what the, that's what humility is. Humility. Uh, when I first got saved, went to a denominational church. Great people, loved people, loved God and want to serve God. But man, they really had some bad definitions, and they they had this idea that humility was walking around with your head hanging down, uh, kind of beat down and and uh, I don't know, you know, uh, defeated almost. And uh, that's not humility at all. Matter of fact, humility requires an incredible level of boldness. Humility requires uh, that we be able to take a stand uh, on the Word of God and not back down just because we run into uh, complications or not back down just because we run in, into uh, persecution. Well, the Bible says that if we humble ourselves before God, God will raise us up. And how does he do that? It says he gives grace to the humble. So who are the humble? Are they the ones with their heads hanging down? Are they the ones walking around like they're defeated? Are they the ones who feel like life is just getting meaner and meaner and harder and harder every single day? No, the the humble are those who are willing and capable of surrendering their opinions to God, willing to surrender their perceptions to God, willing to accept the fact that when there is a conflict between my uh, perception of reality and God's definition of reality, that I, that I need to surrender uh, my opinion to God's opinion so that I can see things the way he does. And when I see things the way he does, I instantaneously enter into a place of faith and victory. Now, you know, this, this series is called The Mind of Christ, The World Through the Eyes of God. And that's what, that's what I want us to do. I want us to be able to see the world through the eyes of God. And uh, this first message is called Thinking Like Jesus. You know, there's a scripture that we that we talk about. Uh, I've heard it quoted in so many crazy ways. It's just, it's just hard to believe. But 1 Corinthians 2.16 uh, says this. I ask this question. It says, who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, I am telling you, I have seen some of the dumbest people in the entire world walking around confessing that they have the mind of Christ. And, and you know, there's a part of me that wants to go up and say, no, listen, Jesus ain't never been this dumb. What you are doing makes no sense. It's not based on the Word of God. It's not even based on good logic. What do you mean you've got the mind of Christ? Well, the Bible says I have the mind of Christ. Now, I'll tell you, I've seen people just make horrible, horrible decisions and defend those decisions using this passage of Scripture. Now, in reality, we all do that more than we want to admit, because so many times when the Bible tells us this is, this is the, the wise way to handle this situation, we're like, well, I, but, you know, I, I kind of see it this way. And so we're acting like—we're not just acting like we have the mind of Christ. We're almost acting like we're Jesus himself, and we are, we are going to— uh, we're going to follow our perception. We're going to follow our view. We're going to follow our opinion, our definitions, our concepts. And instead of humbling ourselves, all right, God, uh, since this is making me afraid, uh, since this is this is making me want to draw back, this is making me want to surrender, want to give up. I need to see this the way you do. 
Well, in order then for that to happen, I've got to be ready to surrender my view, and I've got to be ready to surrender my opinion. Now, we're going to look at this whole passage of Scripture. We're going to go as far in this as we can today. You know what? If we can't get through it all day, we'll, we'll, we'll finish up in, in, next week's, uh, uh, in next week's session. But, uh, you know, the question they ask, he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And so this is asking a question is, is like, well, how can you think that you know the mind of God? Now, initially, you would look at that thing and say, well, I, I can't know the mind of God. So many people think that God is uh, illogical. They think that God is impractical. They think that God always does everything in a mystery. You know, there are a lot of mysteries in the Bible, but the interesting thing about all the mysteries in the Bible is they are revealed through the Bible, except for those, there are some mysteries that will only be understood when we reach a particular point in time in history. And at that point in time with history, you know, God will give us the understanding of some of those mysteries. But in reality, so many times the word mystery uh, is, is not only the fact that, that as a mystery, it is something that, uh, uh, that's hard to comprehend, hard to see, and all those kinds of things. But many times that word mystery is used to say, up until now, it's been hard to comprehend, it's hard to see, but now it is a mystery revealed. And many times that's, many times that's how you have to translate or interpret uh, the, the word mystery. So, so many people just think that, that God is past knowing. Well, if God is past knowing, then it is impossible for us to live and walk by faith. And the Bible says without faith, you cannot please God. So, uh, because you remember, faith is not you praying hard enough, believing hard enough, uh, doing enough spiritual ritual ceremony or whatever it is that you do. Faith is not when you do enough of something to get God to respond to you and answer your prayers. That is not faith. Faith is not what we do to get God to respond to us. Faith is how we respond to what God has already done, to what God has already said. And so, uh, so you know, really, most of what we have been taught about faith for the last 50 or 60 years has been sort of right. It's not completely wrong. But the moment you move faith over into this realm of this is how I'm going to move God, this is how I'm going to convince God to answer my prayers, you are now in what the Bible calls dead works. And uh, dead works, I tell you, they, they don't move God. I can tell you, here, here's what moves God the finished work of Jesus on the cross. All of eternity revolves around the person and the work of Jesus, and God has chosen to glorify him above all things. So how in the world would we ever think that God can be influenced by any source other than Jesus? So what Jesus has already done through the death, burial, and resurrection is that's truth, that's reality, and we're not going to try to use that to get God to do something. Instead, we're going to believe that, and we're going to do something. We are, are going to respond to God. And in, in fact, really, Judaism and Christianity, these are the only religions in the world 
where the God is wor that's worshipped in those religion religions is understandable. You know, all the other religions of the world, you can never figure out for sure what the God of that particular religion might do. Therefore, you cannot relate to them on faith because remember, faith is sure. Faith, faith, trust, and trust that which is absolute and is sure. Faith always can act on it and go out on the limb, and you're not really worried about it. faith. Is not is not jumping off the cliff with your eyes shut and hoping that you land on something. Faith is knowing. Faith is always seeing, always knowing, always having your eyes open, always understanding. Uh, what God has already committed and already promised to do. So this scripture is not saying that it's impossible to know the mind of the Lord. Now, we can't instruct God. Let me, let me say that. But he answers this question, for who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? Well, we can't instruct him, but, but the mind of the Lord can instruct us. And the reason that we can be instructed by the mind of the Lord is because we have the opportunity to experience the mind of Christ. Now, you know, I've got a I've got a series I've been wanting to do for a long time. I know that I'm gonna I'm going to get into this series at some point in time, but uh I, I don't know what I'm gonna call it yet. But all through the Bible, there are words that express something that God has given us legally. It's legally ours. In other words, it, it, it's, we don't have to do anything to work for it. We don't have to do anything to convince God to do it for us. It is something that he has said, this is yours. But, you know, he told the children of Israel going into the land of Canaan, uh, you know, I'm going to fight the battles for you. But you know what? They still had to pick up their swords. They still had to pick up their spears. They still had to put on their armor. And they still had to go out there and risk their lives in those battles. So even though God was going to fight the battle for them, even though God was going to win the battle for them, there was, there was this aspect of it where they had to assume the responsibility to act on what God said. There are many words in both the Greek New Testament and both the Hebrew Old Testament that where it speaks of God giving us something or doing something for us, he gives it to us legally. It legally becomes ours but it has that doesn't mean we have experientially received it, taken hold of it, brought it alive in our own heart, that we're beginning to experience it and, and it's beginning to in, influence our life. There is a there can be a huge gap between what God has given and what we have received. Now, many people uh, would read this passage of scripture and immediately jump to this thing, well, all right, well, God has just supernaturally given me the mind of Christ. Well, even if he had, it would have to be something we receive. Oh, I receive it in Jesus, and I receive it. I got the mind of Christ. No, 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 that's not what receiving it is. The mind of Christ is expressed very explicitly through the Word of God as it was expressed by the life, the teaching, the ministry, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the mind of Christ. The, uh, uh, the mind of Christ. Matter of fact, let me, just, let me just give you a few interesting uh, definitions of this Greek word mind. This Greek word for mind can be a uh, perception. It can be uh, a mode of thought. It can be insight. It can be understanding. It can be meaning. But here's one of the, I think, one of the best ways to understand it. In the Greek language, 
very often it will say that this is the reason, or you might say reasoning. So the mind of Christ is not something that we, by spiritual osmosis, are just given and suddenly, boom, it just explodes in our head that we that we think like Jesus. No, the mind of Christ is where is where we have the we have a way, a, a very clearly mapped out way to uh uh for us to be able to see and perceive the reasoning behind everything that Jesus ever did. And because of that reasoning uh, and through that process and through that understanding, uh, this is why his miracles work. Now, by the way, let me say this. There were people, according to the New Testament, that Jesus could not heal. Now, we don't, we don't have individual accounts of it. But, uh, you know, there were places where Jesus went and said he could do no mighty miracles in particular. It didn't say he didn't try. It said that he couldn't, not not wouldn't. Uh, it said that he couldn't. And so so you, you start understanding what we do have, though, is we have accounts of, of the reasoning behind why Jesus did what he did, why he ministered the way that he ministered and why he had the effectiveness that he had in his ministry. Why did he have the effectiveness that he had in his life? And so we have an opportunity really to get inside of the mind of Christ so that we can understand the logic of God. After all, remember, Jesus himself is the Logos. Uh, it says in the book of, first, uh, of John, the first chapter, that Jesus is the Word of God. And that word logos is the reasoning, it's the logic, it's the wisdom, it's the character, it's everything about who God is and how God thinks. And Jesus himself came in the flesh, the logos, the wisdom, the character, the nature, the reasoning, the logic of God came in the flesh. In other words, in physical form, so that we could, for the first time, perfectly see and understand what motivates God to do everything that he does in planet earth and by by coming to see and perceive that then we could participate in and what god was doing and we could do the same thing that jesus did because we'd be working from the very same motives that jesus had now let me mention this uh got a great series for you that's going to follow along this you guys know i always create an audio series for this let me remind you anytime you purchase an audio series you're going to have everything that's in these free video messages, plus you're going to have hours and hours and hours of audio teaching that is way more specific, takes you into, into some practical application that we, we, that we can't get into in, uh, uh, because of time in, in, these, in these video sessions. But they are not duplicates. In other words, the, the video is not, the, is not a duplicate or just a condensed version of the audio. The audio is not a duplicate or an expanded version of the video. Uh, there is some overlap, but it's all designed to give you as much truth and reality as you can because so many people want to go deeper. So many people want to be disciples. But remember this, every time you purchase something, number one, you're making an investment in your own life. And you know, uh, you know, for decades, I've said this to people, and only recently in the last few years have I heard other ministers say this, but I've always asked people, you know, you know, what is the most important thing you need to be doing? You, you are a steward. 
So as a steward, as someone who is here to take responsibility for management, what is your most uh, important stewardship that you're ever going to do in planet Earth? Well, there's all kinds of things that we can do for God, for the kingdom of God, for people around us. But all of those things that we will ever do are contingent upon the beliefs of our heart. That's why the Bible says, above all else that you guard, above all else that you protect, uh, you need to guard and protect and keep watch over your heart. For out of it flow all the issues of life, and not just the issues, but in the Hebrew language, uh, it's not, see, the word issues indicates all that, that your life consists of, but also that word issues could have been uh, translated as boundaries. Every limitation that you're going to have in your life, it's never going to really be what's going on out there. It's never going to be the people that are around you. It's not going to be the persecution that goes on out there. Every limitation is going to be based on the beliefs of your heart. And I'll tell you, in this series, I am wanting to to help prepare you to face a world that's getting darker every single day. And I'm telling you, it's not going to be what's going on out in the world that's going to limit and restrict your life. It's going to be what's going on inside your heart. So your most important area of stewardship is how you manage the resources of your heart, because it's going to be from that that you're going to have the strength, the grace, the power, the faith, the love, all of the compassion, all those things uh, that come from your heart to be able to go out and change the way the world sees God. So in this series, starting with today, I want you to realize that having the mind of Christ, like I said, this is not spiritual osmosis. Uh, just because you're in Christ and because Christ is in you does not mean that you have the mind of Christ. It does mean that you have access to the mind of Christ. And by the mind of Christ, we're talking about the, you know, the logic, the reasoning, the, the understanding. We're, we're talking about the way he thought, the way he made decisions, why he did what he did, why he did what he did, the way that he did it. All of that kind of gets into the mind of Christ. You know, the Bible tells us one of the most important things that we do as new believers is we have to put off the old man. Everything that we think that we are outside of Jesus, we got to put that off. We got to end that. And then we got to renew our minds uh, and bring our, our thoughts, our thinking in line with the word of God, and then put on the new man. Well, we, that is really an investment that we make in the heart that begins by renewing the mind. Now, renewing the mind isn't just changing what you think about. It is changing how we think. And it's not just enough that, you know, it's easy to figure out what Jesus thought. Uh, the big challenge is how, how do we incorporate that kind of thinking into real life? Well, that's what you're going to learn in this series. Listen, let me encourage you in something. We are involved in raising up one billion disciples around the world. And uh, we have been working a program to do this. We are starting Bible schools all over the world training hundreds and hundreds of people who in third world countries will go into the ministry. You know, in America, about 3% of Bible school graduates ever actually go into the ministry. And third world countries, because of the sacrifices that these people make to come to Bible school, uh, nearly all of them actually go into ministry when they complete their Bible school training. 
And so we are raising up thousands of leaders around the world that will go out and touch hundreds and hundreds of lives every single year. And we're going to raise up 1 billion disciples. Go to my website, drjimrichards.com or impactministries.com and consider becoming a world changer with us and help us financially reach and change the way the world sees God by raising up disciples all over the world. Listen, I can't wait to share with you next week. Be sure and share this video with other people. And I'm going to be talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.